You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the second annual crossover edition of the Train With The Best podcast and Take Command. That is Chris Gores, the co-host of the Train With The Best podcast. That is Logan Paulson, the co-host of the Take Command podcast. Right. And I'm Craig Hoffman, the host of both podcasts. What's up, boys? <laughs> yeah, what Not up? much, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I, I think you had the latest night of all of us last yeah, night. Yeah, I mean, when you get when you get here, it's like, like obligatory to stay up till some ungodly hour, then get up at an ungodly hour and just be like, we got to just ride it out. But you guys yeah. went to the Pacers game, though, right? We, we went to the Pacers game, and then we went to dinner afterwards at the obligatory Harry and Izzy's for, for the shrimp cocktail, because <laughs> yeah, no we doubt. have a first-timer here, right? Yeah, our guy Lance, uh, he... It was shrimp cocktail one, Lance zero. Oh uh, well, dude, if you don't know that there's horseradish in that, like that'll just straight. Well, so here, so here's what he did. He he did the classic rookie mistake of we told him what it was. Uh, he had his first one with a little bit of sauce, and it was he felt cocky about it. So <laughs> he he gets the second one with a big bite, and yeah. then you know it uh, doesn't work out. Got, as well got everything clear. Got everything cleared out. I bet <laughs> exactly. That nasal cavity is nice and clean, and everything's feeling good. Right. But you know what? It's it's funny. It, one of the things that he said yesterday is the the way that he put it is like this is like NFL homecoming. Yeah, because because it is like you like said, that, yeah. you, you 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 link up with friends who yeah. you haven't seen in a while, and you see people that you know, and you know you thought you were gonna have an early night, and then yeah. that early night ends up being one thirty. Yeah, and it's just like you know, like I bumped into Sean Laval last night, the guy that I played with. He's like what? An, he's like an agent now, you know. Laval's was, an agent. Yeah, now? he's like talking about all his guys. Yeah, it was just good to catch up and talk to some of my coaches, then my agents here, and yeah, just like and then it's like so it's only about probably thirty or forty minutes with each guy, but yeah. the volume of people here is right. so high. That yeah, you just and they, the conversations flow one into another. You like, yeah. you're at whatever spot you're at. Yep. Yeah, you turn around or someone sees you, they come up, and you're kind of at the end of one conversation, yeah. but you stand in the same spot for three hours. And talk <laughs> yeah, to exactly, yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. That's kind of how it goes. All right, so the reason we do this is because the combine is kind of this mix of performance training and football, and that is essentially what our two podcasts are: performance right. training. And football. And I think this year in particular, there's two big topics, Washington Commanders adjacent and, and NFL Combine adjacent, that have that fitness crossover that are that are going to be interesting for us to talk about today. The first is this decision by Marvin Harrison Jr. to not only work out here, but not work out for a pro day. He's not doing any drill type of stuff. 
he is training to be a football player next year in the NFL, not training to interview to be a football player in the NFL. And then a little bit later, we're going to have some fun with a topic that I know JP Finley and, and Mitch Tischler did on Galway Football Pod yesterday. But we have uh, two guys that have, have actually worked on building gyms, and Chris owns a giant <laughs> yeah, facility. Right. Um, right. Um, so, so with the commanders investing $75 million in FedEx Field and the facility in Ashburn, and we know that they've got their eyes on ultimately building a new practice facility, what would a state-of-the-art modern NFL gym look like for Chad Englehart and his crew to work in. So uh, that's going to be what we talk about today. But let's start, Logan, with the just the, like the football decision-making sure. process. Marvin Harrison decides, I'm not doing any of these drills. I'm not only doing, not doing them here. I'm not doing them in Columbus. I am training to become a football player next year. What do you make of that decision, short-term, long-term ramifications? I mean, I think it's really smart. I think, uh, you know, like, and I think there is a precedent for it. And I know people think it's unprecedented, but I look at Drake London last year and like, you know, or two years ago, and the big question about him was like, what is he going to run from a 40 standpoint? He never ran it. You know, get Dallas Goddard a couple of years before that. Big questions about his speed. Just don't run your 40. And so like when I talk to agents, when I talk to my agent, I, when he's advising guys, it's like, if it's not going to help you, don't do it. Right. So with him, there's nothing about this process at this point, just based on the film and what he's done and his career that 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 needs to be justified at this point. Like, I think I've said this on the podcast before. He's been the cleanest evaluation of any player that I've ever done. He's big. He's fast. He's got good route running nuance. He makes contested catches. Does he drop the ball occasionally? Yeah, but so does everybody. And nothing he does here outside of the interview process is going to help him. So for me, it's like the only thing that can happen here is that even if you run a 4-2, it's like, great. You're not moving up anywhere. You're not right. bypassing a quarterback. Right. So, But if you do run a 4-6, like, you're going to be maybe out of the top 10. So I would just say stand pat with what you got. And then with regards to not doing anything at, the, at your pro day, I think the same logic applies there. And I think, you know, Chris, you can probably speak to this a little bit too, though. It's like one of the things that I came out of my combine prep when I was uh, coming out, which was like a million years ago, is I felt like I was very underprepared for rookie mini camp, OTAs, and training camp, right? I, and it's because you're preparing in a very specific way for very specific events. So I do think it's kind of smart for him. And from an injury prevention standpoint, I think it's going to kind of allow him to establish foundations that's going to be very productive for his NFL career. Yeah, I think you, you, you hit all the points about, like, if you can't raise your stock, then then why, why even do right? this? Like, yeah. you're, just, you're just betting to uh, lose money at this point, right? Like, so uh, it's, it's a great decision for him. And... We, we've touched on this on previous podcasts. The NFL Combine is an underwear competition. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it isn't football. So, if your goal is to, as for him, he's probably thinking about getting the numbers that he needs to get to get to his second contract. Yeah. I mean, you know, for somebody like him who's who's been around the league, who has a father that can mentor him, and, mm -hmm. and he knows how the game is played, he knows, I got to produce. Right? So, uh his decision to just work on football is is a good is a good one for yeah. him. I mean, I, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think for him specifically, it's it's the obvious decision. And I am very curious though that it's not kind of come out. Albert Breer was the one who wrote the story for MMQB and, and SI. Like, I think this is going to be something more people do from the training side of it because I, I feel like the kind of a lot of guys skip the combine, mm -hmm. then they wind up running at the pro day, and it's kind of like this. Okay, we'll do it you know, kind of almost reluctance to do it. And, and they typically perform fine because they're the best athletes in the draft. The guys that are making these decisions versus the guys who are like, I need to do everything because I need every chance possible to impress people. Um, but I think overall, like for 
the the idea that he is not even playing the game is I, I don't know how many guys are going to get to make that decision um, based off their draft stock. But I think there's like kind of a second layer question here, which is is more guys should do it anyway. Yeah. Like if you're if you're trying to get into the top 10 and you're maybe in the 20s right now. Right. And you know that a four three can can change your your slot money and it's that significant of a financial yeah. impact, mm -hmm. then maybe it's it's worth it. But if you're if you're the difference between the second and third round, right? And and your 40 or your bench or your shuttle or whatever it is based off your position that's the most important thing, your movement drills on the field. Wouldn't you rather just be a better football player as a rookie? I think you would. But I also think like there is this like especially in the second and third round, like you're moving up and there is something to be said for being a second round pick as opposed to being a fifth round pick. Like the team has more sure. time invested in you. And so right. if you can do something to push yourself into that category, I think you should. And so that's, I think you're kind of, we're kind of saying the same thing. I think if it, if, you, if it will help you and you believe it can help you, you should do it. But I was right. talking to my agent last night and he's like, I'm not going to have one of my guys run tomorrow because I don't think he's going to run as fast as he needs to run. And then it just becomes a question about like who he is. And he's still here to do the interviews. He's going to jump. He's going to do everything else. But like, I think if it's if it's not a data point that's going to help you, like use basically what I'm saying is if you're an athlete, if you're an agent, use this process to help you. Don't use it as like something right. like to hinder you or something that right. they can use against you. I think about Kyle it's, Hamilton. It's not a requirement right. to do all this stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Like, I think about Kyle Hamilton from a couple of years ago. What if he never runs a 40? Is he a top five pick? Maybe, right? Yeah. And so he cost himself a lot of money by running the 40 here. Didn't go well, ran it as pro day. Didn't go well there. There's no doubt about like his film and everything that he's a good football player. So if I if I was his agent, I'm like, we know the numbers you're hitting in, in practice. They're not what we need. Go jump. Go do what you got to do. That's fine. Because I think when you look at his jump measurements, Kyle Hamilton specifically, they were excellent. Yeah. And so you're like, this means he's explosive, twitched up. He just doesn't run fast in a straight line. So why, yeah. why are we messing with that? Yeah. No, I think running fast in a straight line is a very unique thing. It's mm -hmm. something that we train for. It's something yeah. that you train for for months. And uh, again, you, you're running in essentially track spikes and underwear. And that's not necessarily going to be something that you're going to do on the field. I would hope game. it's not something you're going to do on the field. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily. If something, if you are running track spikes and underwear, you become a streaker at the Super Bowl. You are no longer <laughs> yeah, a yeah. football player. Right, right. I don't think that's how they're trying to get onto uh, the field. Yeah. No. yeah. So, well, and like in terms of training, I think people like need to understand it's like it's a drastically different skill set you're learning. To me, it's like. Like I do max velocity training with all my athletes, but mm -hmm. I do it in the same way that I would do a back squat. Like you want like max absolute strength development, but you also want like the contractile velocities. It's just a tool, right? So you're never sure. using it as a way that I'm like a metric. I'm like quantifying every single week or whatever, but like the, the mechanics of the run changes, right? Right. Good receivers run with their feet a little bit wider apart, like a little bit of base, you know, like, like two to three inches between their feet. Cause mm -hmm. it helps them change direction. Mm -hmm. And when you're running for your 40, your feet have to come in really nice and tight. Mm -hmm. And so like you never hit those same positions necessarily. So there is a specificity element to this drill that people forget about. And I, th and again, we talk about this every single year, but it's like so far away from football and it is, it's a good metric, you know, cause you can go apples to apples. I can go, Oh, you ran a four two. This guy ran a four two. Like, oh, we go back and watch right. the film. Is it on right. film? Great. It's a great thing for evaluators. But again, if you're not going to do well with it, it's 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 a lot of time. To your point, Chris, it's like a it's lot of time. Three months, four months of you just training for this. The training style is totally different. You become a track athlete as yes. opposed to football. Player. Yes, that's exactly right. Like we, everything becomes about the math and the science of yeah. twenty steps. Yep. Like, how do we improve twenty steps? And everything that we do is is geared towards those first six steps and those last eight steps, right? So um, that's not what football is. 
So if we are going to dedicate two months of training to 20 steps, right? Like that's just, that's just a lot of time and energy that is not the same way that we use max velocity when we're training an actual football right. athlete. Right, right. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's dive into that side of it, right? What does that training look like? Let's say, you know, what is what does your February look like if you are training for the NFL? What does your February look like if you are training for the combine at the end of it? You want to go? I mean, for me, like it's just it's we're just establishing like a base, right? Guys are coming off the season. You got to kind of get them back moving around correctly, and then you want to kind of make sure all the all the stuff they're dealing with from the season is cleared up. Yes. And then you want to kind of start to establish for me a little bit of volume, like not, and we're not talking crazy. I'm not talking going out here running 300 yard shuttles, but I want to make right. sure guys are ready for the training, the harder stuff, the higher intensity stuff, the higher loads, the higher speeds, you know, those decelerations that we're going to get to hopefully at some point. And, you know, guys, depending on how banged up they are, you might never get there, but this is the time of year where that I kind of used to kind of say, this is where I want to, I want to kind of start flushing stuff out. We're slowly starting to ramp up. And for me, when just combined to football, the volumes are drastically different. Like right. you're prepping volumes for a very different. game or yeah. training camp and like the running volumes are much, much higher in my experience with this. Yeah. So so the, the first thing that's very obvious is, you know, w- when you're training in February for combine, your event is at the end of the month. When you're training in February for football, your event isn't for six months. That's a great point. Right. So like we, we are in different phases of training. Um, very much. So th- the other thing at Combine is, you know, this is a, you're, you're going to get measured here. So they want to see how big you are, what your body fat percentage is. Like last year, there was a whole big thing about is, is Bryce Young going to be 200 pounds, yeah. right? So you're, you're doing things to, to, to put on muscle mass, which is probably not a thing in terms of like training for football. Yes, you want to get stronger. You want to maintain strength. You want to develop power and, and force production and all those things. But the goal is not hypertrophy. The goal is not to be, I got to be 210 pounds with 4% body fat. That again is a, 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 an underwear competition, stuff, yeah. right? Like you're, you're standing still when they measure that stuff, right? And, and to be clear, like 
you will have athletes that need to gain weight in an off season. Yeah. But the, how you do it is very different. Very different. Right. right. If you got to gain 10 pounds by training camp and it's February, that's not that hard. Yeah. You yeah. got to gain tread 10 pounds by the combine and it's, you know, the end of your college football season in, in January. That's uh that's a, that's a it's rough a big month. deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Sure. You and you and your refrigerator are going to become very best friends. <laughs> right. 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 You and every bit of protein that's ever existed, every bit of everything that's ever existed. You're going to eat more than you you've ever eaten. If you're going to put on 10 pounds in a month. And yeah. by the way, it's got to be good weight. Cause like yeah, you said, like it's, it's that body fat percentage. You're going to get out there. You're going to be in, you know, your underwear or the tight shirts or no shirt and running a 40, like, and got, and you know, some scouts care about that stuff. Some scouts don't, but like, why if there were the scouts that care if they're decision makers at a team like that's a team that could be off your list but also i think like in this at this event it speaks to like if you come out and you look and you look the part right you're yes. kind of chiseled yeah. up your body fat's good yeah. i know you're on the all get off the bus team yeah and i know yes. I, I know you put time in in the weight room i know you're a hard worker i know you're, it, it it informs the character in a way that right. people forget right and so yeah. that's really what you're doing you're just basically checking a box hey Look at how disciplined I was from the end of the football season to right. now. Right. Look at look look at this this product that I've developed for you. Right, As, uh, like the, the guy that tore his ACL last year and then and ended up like uh, uh, benching. Virhees, the guard yeah. for Baltimore. For now. Baltimore, yeah, yeah. So it's it, like you Baltimore said, the, it. yeah. It's like you said, the, the character. Right? Did did this guy put in the time to do well on these drills? Even yeah. though we know we all know that these drills don't necessarily translate, but do you put the time in and and are you somebody that is willing to work hard? Yeah. I think that's a great point because, like, if anything, like, if you come into this event and you don't do well, and, and I can tell you haven't prepped for it, like, there's guys, we're, yes. we're going to watch all the 40s, right? Right. And there's guys you can tell that have never been a three-point stance before. And, like, you <laughs> knew today was coming. Yeah. And so what kind of preparer are you? Are you a right. long-term thinker? So in some ways, like, that's the other stuff about this that's super important, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the number necessarily, but it's just saying, like, this is the biggest job interview of your life. Right. Did you prep for it. it's right. the nirvana did you study yes did right you did study? you study for the yeah, test it's, it's the nirvana what is it brown m&ms thing what Where, it? The, the, so the famous story is and now i'm gonna mess it up and all the nirvana <laughs> fans are gonna be um, i'm gonna get the details wrong but basically um nirvana and their in their rider had it like i only want i think it was green m&ms uh -huh. um and so like if the band showed up and there weren't just green m&ms they were like, what the hell? You didn't read our rider. But it wasn't about the green M&Ms. So it was that they made sure because it was the end of the ride. Oh, I see. And so it's like this was a way because of all. And this is uh, like, yeah. what, late yeah. 80s, early 90s, like pyrotechnology and stuff. Like, oh, I see. You know, we got to make sure they read every bullet point because otherwise our show is not going to be safe for us and for I our see. fans. That's so it was really a, it's a way actually. for them to, to check it off. And so like yeah. it kind of became this whole other thing over the years of like, oh, these diva rock stars, they only want whatever color M&Ms, but it was a safety check. Yeah. And yeah. that's essentially what you're saying is yeah. like, yes, obviously the raw speed of these guys matters um, in the way that what color the M&Ms were <laughs> did not. Um, but it also is a test of readiness mm. and, and preparedness and thoroughness and like, in a way, I guess to encompass all that into one word, it's a test of your professionalism. Yeah, one thousand percent. I think I think that's ultimately what this is. It's like again, like, do I really care what your three cone is? Kind of, but it, I've, <laughs> I've seen it on film already. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes or no? Exactly. On you film. get in exactly. and out of a break, we'll see it on. I'll film. see it on film, right? But like, you knew this was coming. Yeah. What does this look like? Are you in shape? Are you ready for the events? Are you ready for the field work? It also kind of speaks to the team that's advising you. So it is a, it is an interesting data point. You know what I'm saying? And I think like that's why 
there are metrics, physical metrics that come out of it, but I think the professionalism is something that really needs to be driven home for sure. So uh, I want to touch on that because we're talking about kind of the difference between combine and then just regular football training, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about the three cone and the pro agility, we know exactly how many steps you're supposed to take yeah. in, in those drills. In football, you don't always know exactly how many steps that you're going to take, but you take a look at the three cone. That's really the only chance that they're going to get here that they're going to measure where they're accelerating and it's not on a straight line. Yeah. Right. So when, when I'm talking about somebody like Marvin Harrison, who's getting ready for football, so much of his acceleration is not going to happen on a straight line. Like if you look at the foot, at the anatomy of the foot when they're running and they're leaning and trying to turn out of a sail route or, or into a speed cut on a, on a dig, that foot, what, what that looks like and the ankle mobility needed for that, that's not the same thing as running a 40. Yeah. Or even running the three cone where it looks similar, but you know it's coming, right? right. So I was going to say, like, the thing that I always get out of this is, like, when you're training for football, it's much harder to think of drill work. And for those of you guys training at home, because it has to be it's not early in the training block, but sure. later as you go, it has yeah. to be super reactive. Yes. Because there, there's a there's a kinesthetic awareness and a learning and just how to coordinate your body. Right. Like, when you got to do it, you know? The, and the so, movement problem solver that we talk about, yeah. right? And yeah, so, like, I mean, that's what we talk about on our pod all the time. And I think yeah. it's, it's incredibly important. As you know, you listen all the I listen, time. I listen more than people would probably think. I just listened to the Achilles thing. I thought it was great. That was yeah, the last one you. you guys did. But, but I think that's the thing is, like, it's hard. It becomes much harder to think of drills that scale safely yes. for for football related activities right. that aren't like either super specific or too general. Right. And that's where it gets a little bit. And that's where the football training. And again, you have like you said, you have six months. You have so six we, months. So, so you might start with, you know, we're touching cones and then you get to like we're reacting to colors or blaze yes. pods or whatever. And we just kind of progress through that. But the the things that scale are not just weight on a bar and velocity on the field. Right. It's problem solving like right right yeah. so so that's what you look at it, 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 you, you have six months in six months i know that it needs to look like this so if in six months it looks like this in four months it better look like this or we're not going to have a shot at right. it looking like what it needs to look like in six months right. so you you just go backwards this is what it looks like in august this is what it needs to look like in june for us to be able to get there this is what it needs to look like in may for us to be able to get there and then take that all the way back to february for me to to be able to get to where i want to be in august what do i need to work on now mm -hmm. so for me the things are like you say kind of resetting reflushing out whatever's yeah. in the body to, to correct the exercises but for speed we're still measuring speed right. only because we don't want to lose it like we know that if you don't run if you don't run at high speeds you lose high speeds so for February, when we're training an, a combine athlete, we're trying to push that for February when we're training a, a football athlete just getting ready for football. We are still measuring that only to see if you can still hit it. But we're, we're only doing maybe 300 yards for the week mm. where it's like, hey, I just want to make sure that you're still hitting this because if, if we don't do this, you're going to lose this. And then it's too hard to gain back later on in the in the off season. And I think people sleep on like just top end velocity stuff, like your body and the tissue are not under, they're never going to be under that kind of stress like ever. ever. So it's a good way to just kind of, everyone says, oh, you need to do Nordic hamstring curls. And yep. I think those are really important. Obviously I'm not yep. diminishing that, but I think the number one indicator of hamstring health is total um, high velocity volume. Right. So if we can kind of make sure we're touching on that in the off season, make sure that that's moving effectively and you feel comfortable there, like you're going to, I feel much better about you going into the season. And then the other thing with football that's hard, I think too, is you are, 
dealing with these high velocities, these yep. high loads, yep. but you also need to make sure you're dealing with a certain amount of volume. Yes. Right. And yep. I think that's the thing. Like I, I was thinking about it for the Achilles stuff. Like we've gotten so good. And you mentioned this on the, on the show, you've gotten so good at, you know, getting guys bigger, stronger, faster. We've cut out all this kind of what I would call junk volume. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the calf specifically yeah. and the foot, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a muscle that requires a lot of volume, yeah. you know, to kind of see adaptation. Yeah. And so, like, how do you make sure you're getting that adaptation, those, those physiological adaptations yep. in the calf, in the foot, while not killing your athlete? And you're kind of you're kind of threading the needle a little bit. But I think that's, again, when you're training for football, you need to make sure you're getting a certain number of cuts in a week, getting a certain number of ground contact. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And totally that that gets a little that can get a little bit messy but i think that's the difference is you're training for you're training for this really complicated nuanced impossibly dynamic yeah. thing yeah. as opposed to something where you're running straight yep. for, for a certain number of steps and at the end of the day like that's the i mean i would say the two biggest things is the kind of where you are in terms of specificity related to the goal mm -hmm. uh, because of the time to the goal 100 and then that thing like are we running straight line and then straight line straight line straight line and then uh, L shape and then yeah, yeah, yeah. jumping and then jumping. Or are we doing this multifactorial decision making dynamic, you know, constant reaction type yeah. of thing? Um, and I also think in terms of like the injury side of it, uh, the, the talk about like some of the NBA stuff and, and what you said with the Achilles made me think yeah. of this. JJ Reddick on his podcast like a year and a half ago probably talked about the change in schedule that the NBA made over the course of his career. They eliminated a ton of back-to-backs. They eliminated the four and five nights as often as possible. But what happened is now they play kind of every other night and they right. never practice. Mm. And JJ said, I think that we're having more injuries now, even though they've changed the schedule to optimize it for player health, right. because instead of playing back-to-back -back and then being able to take a day off and then practice, because like you'd have back to back but then you'd have four days off mm -hmm. and the coach would practice you hard at least one of those days right and it's not in the competition so you get to accumulate some of that load that in a sport like basketball or football you need on the foot you need on the calves you get the ground contact you get all that stuff that you're not going to mimic in the weight room like we've right. talked about that like right. we're not going to jump our basketball players in season they're basketball players they right. jump all the time yeah um and so the idea that you're accumulating the right amount of practice volume specific to the game which you're only going to really get in practice is i think another huge huge difference between the combine training and the football training and why i think a guy like harrison being able to train like this now should probably help him a lot as a rookie i would think 100 percent. it should help him tremendously and yeah. i think i think it's again that that training like people think about this too like with it's it's been a really interesting thing to watch like with concussions and the rugby union and in the nfl people aren't tackling as much yes and so mm -hmm. they're not as good at it Mm -hmm. And so the hits that you are taking are worse because you're not in the right position all the time. And it's like the same thing with rugby union. Like they changed some technical tackling rules in terms of practice. Like you can only tackle one day a week. And then they saw the number of broken arms increase by like 50%. Right. So like all of this stuff you're doing yeah. is a skill. If I, you know, like, yes. uh, you know, Chael Sonnen, the MMA guy was like, yep. we're, we're training to be a fighter. So if we're not fighting, yeah. like I'm not getting better at my craft. It's the same thing with football. I got to make sure I'm tackling. I got to make sure I'm blocking. It's our job as coaches to make sure that scales correctly. But to your point, like, I'm pretty confident that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to go out and run a thousand routes between now and the season. <laughs> yeah. So his, his general preparedness for the NFL is going to be significantly higher than the dude who took this time and was like, I'm running a 40 for three months, and now I got to get myself back into football shape. Like those transitions, and you could probably speak to this too, Chris and Craig, obviously yeah, as well. Yeah. It's those short transitions 
that get you that get dicey where the volume increases really dramatically. So like from off season to training camp yeah, there's a lot. on a short block, mm-hmm. like that's where you see a lot of injuries. And so now sure. Harrison has the opportunity to say, I can slowly ramp myself up so that day one, I'm going to be in tremendous shape. Right. Well, and the thing is real quick, like just so people remember, uh, cause this happened to me every year I was on the beat and you finally like, Oh, we got through the draft. Whew, big, deep breath. Oh, hell, rookie minicamp is next week. Right. Yep. And so, like, it is quick, that transition from I was preparing for the combine, I was preparing for the pro day, I was preparing for the draft, and any last second, whatever I might have to do, now I'm drafted, now I got to go to minicamp. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's very different, right? Like, running, running for five seconds, 4.2 seconds, whatever it is, and then being off for the next 10 minutes is it's very different, it's different. Than, than, than being in a series. Than being in multiple series, than being in a two minute, right? So, yeah, like being in combine shape is very different from being in football shape. And then, and then the other thing is there, there is no thinking at the combine, like, like what you said, like you have to be able to react, recognize, and then all those things. So, you know, for you to be able to understand an NFL offense and what your responsibilities are, if I'm a wide receiver, I have to know not just my route, but my route concept and what's the spacing of my route. What are the other routes that are happening? What is my split on the field? Where where am I supposed to be and when am I supposed to be there in relation to the quarterback's drop? Those are things that you do not do in combine training. You're watching and, you're watching and by the film way, a lot of your, times you don't do in college football either. Well, uh, True. Uh, well, I think the other crazy thing about this is like you see that sometimes in the field work. You see that at the senior bowl. Because guys, people think, oh, they, they've been running routes this whole like I went to I go to my my trainer's gym yeah. and they run routes like once a week. Right. Yeah. once every other week because they don't want to mess up their recovery for the 40, recovery right. for the 5, yeah. 10, 5. Right. That, the drills are prioritized. And so sometimes yeah. when you see guys on the field or at the senior bowl even, you see guys that yeah. are a little bit off Yeah, because they're getting back into football for the first time, right? So yeah. like, I remember a couple of years ago, like Jelani Woods, the tight end from, where did he go, Syracuse? He went to Syracuse? No, he, didn't, he went to Virginia. And he slipped a couple times making breaks. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. How many breaks has he run right. since the season ended? Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think that speaks to your point. It's like it's all very mapped out, very controlled. So that's like one of the things about the field work here. I love the field work here because it's the only time you get to see that kind of yeah. critical thinking element. Yeah. But it's also you got to put it in context of like what the guys are doing yeah. and how they're being prepped for for today. Because in terms of value at the combine, we I mean, we talked about this a little bit already. It's like 40 Vertical jump, five ten five. You know, like those are the things you're here. Like the field work, yeah. You might as well just go home, kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the field work here, like the drills are not very complex. It's the kind of things that we would think of in a in a strength and conditioning session, not really a football. It's like right. there, there, yeah. there. Come back. All right, you're gonna backpedal, and then when I wave you forward, you're gonna come forward. And I'm gonna throw a football at your number. But it's it's important. It. I, I think that's yeah. the thing, though. It's important to see how they move in that reactive setting. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense to me why a lot of guys don't look good. Right. Yeah. You know, you're like you look. That guy looks a little stiff, or that guy's yeah. kind of having a hard time with his feet. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Like, totally. It it really is a I think a very it's it's it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about their off season in in relationship to this event yeah. specifically. And to be clear, I'm I'm saying what I just said to draw the comparison to what football is, not right, to minimize right, the work right, here, right? right? Like that stuff is really important for the exact reasons you said. It's as close as you're going to get, but it's still nowhere close yeah. to what they're going to see the second nowhere they close. take the field and practice starts at rookie minicamp. Nevertheless, the full OTAs, the I full s- mini camp. I got to see this. I got to see this a little bit last year at a pro day. Right, it's it's very different when you're doing it a pro day for your school and your school is running it like at like you would at an Ohio oh, State yeah. or Alabama, right? Whereas if you're going to a pro day and the NFL scouts are running it, right? Yeah. 
because now they're going to explain drills as quickly as they can with not a whole lot of direction to see if you can pick up on it because that's what NFL coaching is. Am I going to have to spend an entire week with you for you to understand a concept or can I tell it to you once and you got it, right? So that that's something else that, that you have to be able to not just train for but to prepare for because if you get invited into a mini camp, if, if you're not the first round guy, if you're a late round guy or an undrafted guy and you, you, you're the guy that always has to ask questions because you don't quite get it. You're not going to be around very long. That's just, that's just the truth. So for, for you to be able to start working on things like that, like it's not just, can you run a 40, but how fast can you take instruction? Right. How well do you, how well do you receive feels coaching? Like there's just the Easter eggs in the combine everywhere. And we're testing your professionalism. We're testing your listening no, 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 skills. No, for 100%. Like I've watched, I've watched, I watched the scouts run the drills, explain the drills. And in my mind, I'm like, they are purposefully coaching it this way to see who picks up on this, trying to see who gets confused. Because uh, I think that's the thing about the combine. It's, it's, everyone thinks they have this great, you know, kind of Rolodex of interaction with these players. Like this is the one, this is the one interaction you're going to get, right? A lot of these coaches, right? Yeah. One interaction, maybe a couple of interviews. Right. So I got to get an, it, an interview is different than on the field. So I want to see how that looks, how you respond, like your body language, how you interacting with other people in your group. Like those are things that matter because you get, right. because it, because it's such a small, it's, it's such a small window to get those interactions with yeah. the players. So yeah, no doubt. All right. Anything else to add on this portion of the show? No, I think, I think it leads like some of the stuff that we talked about leads into what we're going to talk about next, which is the the the, the design of a facility. Yeah, yeah absolutely, hundred percent. Right. All right, let's do that. All right, second annual uh, Train with the Best Times Take Command podcast here with Logan Paulson and Chris Gores. I am Craig Hoffman. I should have said this off the top, by the way. Uh, we all have both credentials in both worlds. Logan, right. not only a uh, 10-year <laughs> oh, yeah. NFL veteran, but a strength coach as well. Uh, I obviously cover football and am a performance coach. And Chris, a uh, performance coach who's worked with some of the, the NFL athletes uh, currently and in the past, uh, but also play wide receiver at Cornell. So um, vast, vast knowledge and experience uh, on either side of me, and I have some too. All right. Uh, this, Chris, I think is, is most up your alley as someone who is the owner of a very large fitness facility. Um, Onyx Elite down in Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. If you're ever in the area, you should definitely go check it out. It's like, a, Logan, I don't think you've had a chance to go down there yet, but it is. A, no, I haven't been down to the one in Richmond. A, yeah. It is a yeah. fitness playground. I love going there. It's the best. Um, but I, I want to talk about what it would be like to help design an NFL facility. Chris, you've toured a couple. Um, yeah. you got friends in the league, strength coach-wise. Yep. Um, where you've toured a couple. You've seen some really nice ones. Logan, obviously, you played in, in a couple of different cities. Um, what, like, let's just start off with the idea of space. Because that, that's the biggest sure. limiting factor anywhere, but space. especially in Ashburn for mm -hmm. the Commanders. Their space is extremely limited with what they have right now, which is part of the problem. What kind of space would you need if you were if you were designing like a facility from scratch for a team like the Commanders who uh, is going to be willing to spend some money on it? If I'm designing a facility from scratch, well, and I'm just talking about well, the gym think, to be clear, I also think it also depends on like your philosophy as a coach. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like what you're trying to get out of the space too. Because like I always thought like when I you know when you first start training, like oh I want a lot of weights, I want this yep. machine, I mm -hmm. want this. But for me, it's like now I want an area where we can lift with an area where we can like run. Yeah. And I want it to be in the same spot. Like, I, like, I don't know if you've been to the bubble. Like, I'd almost prefer it if the racks were in the bubble 
and we lift it in there and then we could just run over to mm-hmm. you know our whatever our resisted sprinting or resisted jumps and it's just all right there in the space yeah because like well, that to me that seems like that's perfect because like sometimes i want to like you know get a potentiation effect from a squat or whatever we're doing and i yep. think that extra space of movement is really really important yeah, so we admittedly took this idea from beltway football podcast because they were talking about it yesterday and jp was asking me about it and i was like that was actually one of the first things i said was like you know we can talk about the you know how many squat racks how many this how many that but like the thing i want as a coach now for athletic training is space because these are athletes as we've talked about that need to move so i need space for them to move yeah, uh, I, I think for, for me, the, the number one things that, that, that I look at is from an injury prevention standpoint, like I got to keep these guys healthy. So this this is what my facility is designed for. My facility is not designed to train them to be the best athletes that they can be. My They already are the best athletes in the world. My facility now is designed to keep these guys as healthy as possible. So we touched on this in the first part of the, pro- the podcast. There is nothing like high speed running. Right. Like there is nothing that you can do from an exercise standpoint, whether it be RDLs or um, Nordics, that's going to engage the hamstrings or activate the hamstrings the way that you would in a high speed run. So I have to have modalities for all of my guys to be able to high speed run. I'm going to start with space for high speed treadmills, treadmills that are going to go up to 25, 30 miles per hour up to an incline. Just something where I, I can get you on here and I can say, hey, you've got four seconds at 22 miles per hour. I need, for, you're talking about like for overspeed work? Yeah, what? overspeed work, high speed work. What you you can use it for whatever you want. Yeah. So, but that, just something that's something that's going to get up there because most treadmills are not going to get correct. up to 20 miles per hour. Do you ever? So, like, there was a period of time where in my off season I would only, I not only it was pretty exclusive actually, but I'd mm-hmm. only train on a treadmill. And I noticed that when I got to the field, my foot strikes a little bit off because it's hitting in front of you and yeah. kind of pulling you through. What's talking about on the curve trials? Uh, no, just this was like old straight. Oh, wow. yes, straight. yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so that was the thing about that where I like I, I kind of get away from that now. I'm yeah. like, I want you on grass running. Yeah. yeah. Because I think it, it encourages a more it encourages you to find your feet and body position in a more specific Definitely, definitely a big difference between running on a treadmill and running on the turf, yeah. which is which is why I also like the idea of having this stuff near or, or in the bubble where, yeah. where we can actually get into uh, real real runs. Yeah. But I'm thinking about like if, if we're training in April or May. Right. OK, I, 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 I'm not using these high speed runs to calibrate high speed. I'm just using these high speed runs to activate your hamstrings so that we can maintain that strength so that when we do go and we run on our uh, when we run our flying 10s or flying 20s, which I want space for yeah. now, now, like, hey, this isn't the first time that you've done that. We've touched high speeds. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's more of an injury prevention thing for me. For the, for the max speed stuff. So it's yeah. almost like the grass is a squat rack and the, you know, the, or something free weight and the, yeah. the treadmill is the machine version. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's the machine version where if I tell, if I tell a guy, Hey, there's also nothing that I, I will say this, there's nothing on the field that I can do to go from zero to instantly 22 miles per hour. Yeah. Right. So, so like you have to build up to that. Yeah. Right. So if I can get them on the treadmill where they're going from zero to 22 miles per hour, hold that for four seconds and then we're out of there versus telling a guy that, hey, we've got a 100 meter, a 100 yard sprint. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's a that's a very different thing. Do you see transfer there? I mean, this is maybe getting a little in the weeds, but like that's something that I always get like because I want the athlete to know how to accelerate and decelerate. And yeah. on the treadmill, like you said, they don't really get that Correct. same. Yeah kind of process they don't really get the body positions of movement the same way 
do you find that the transfer of the treadmill is high enough that you feel good about it or i don't i don't feel good about the transfer and, and again like i'm not using the treadmill to transfer anything i'm only using the to, the treadmill to activate hamstrings in a way that i can't in other in any other modality in the weight room there is nothing i can do in the weight room to activate the hamstrings the way that i can in a high speed sprint so i need that just to be able to activate the hamstrings so how do you program that i guess would be my other question yeah so well because it, I, I'm sure, neurologically very taxing, very demanding. Sure. Um, you can't throw that in just like willy nilly. Like, nope. where does that gotta go? Sure. So these guys, th these guys have sprinted before, right? So it's not like we're we're building uh, from it, scratch yeah, somebody that needs to learn how to sprint. Phase type of thing. Yeah, this is an early phase type of thing. And, and, and again, like we are talking about the we we are talking about literally thirty seconds of exercise for the entire week. But it's the 30 seconds of exercise that I can't get anywhere else. And that, that's why I need this high-speed treadmill because we might do like five sets of three seconds twice a week. Right. right? Like that. that's it. That's all, uh, all we're going to get in, in like March or April. And then as we get closer to the actual season, we're, we're probably not going to use these treadmills as much. Right. Um, so... To, to build up to that, we still have all of our other exercises. We still have our RDLs and, and our Nordics yeah. and our hamstring curls and all that other stuff. And we still have assisted runs as well, mm -hmm. right? So if I've got this space like we have at the bubble, you know, hooking up the, them up to a 1080 or a Vertimax Raptor where they can get assisted work. You got a 1080? Man, you got, I, I don't. Bro you I, broke off, huh? I, How much is a 1080? That's like $20,000? Yeah, well, you you told me that if we're building this a dream facility, Josh, you told me Harris I have seventy five million dollars. <laughs> this is not you this said, is not Chris Gore as a Gucci on Yeah, yeah, yeah this is let's get a couple of those, man. Let's no, 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 no. <laughs> the Vertimax hey, Raptor, you, that's your guy. <laughs> He's got the hook up there. Right. The, it, we're now talking. Do, but yeah, Josh I, I love I love the ten eighty. But every time I'm like, yeah, those that don't know what ten eighty is. So ten eighty is an awesome sprint tool where like it's a it's a motorized sprint unit that hooks up to an iPad. And you can see max velocity. You can kind of encourage like certain deceleration of the sprint. So it's really good for programming because you're like, yeah. oh, I want a 50% deceleration for this training block. And I can program that in. And then as we progress, we can go into assisted runs. We can go into right. resist. It's just, it's a great tool. The problem is it's extremely expensive. And, it's very expensive. Yeah. It's very expensive. And it's not very fungible. Like you're not going to use it for a whole lot of other things, right? Like yeah. a squat rack I can use for bench squat lunge. i can yeah. do a bunch of different things I like you said fungible because it's like i know alabama sorry we're getting off track here i know sorry. alabama has like 20 of them yeah and they said they only use one because they use it for rehab they don't use it's such a specific measure it's tool. such a specific they thing. use the run rocket for right field work right so if i again we're, we're talking about willy wonka's chocolate factory <laughs> i don't i don't have i don't have any budget concerns here so if if i could if and, and i want to build somebody up to 22 miles per hour yeah. right so conventionally the thinking is all right we're going to build up to 22 miles per hour let's say what what's 60 percent of that what's 80 percent of that i want you to run at 18 miles per hour this and that right instead of doing that with something like a 1080 what i can say is we're going to run at 22 miles per hour, but I'm going to give you the assistance so you can achieve that at 70% effort, 80% effort, 90% effort. So the speed is still there, but the effort, the effort level isn't quite the same as if you were just running that on your own. Right. So that's how we would build up to that. Mm -hmm. And right. the benefit being that neurologically your body's like, oh, we're going 22 miles an hour. 
Yeah, like like, like you know what like, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like so, your brain is firing on that on that on that level. Your timing is there. Your your strides are there. And, and, and like I said, and this is a really nerdy yeah. question, yeah. but I feel like overspeed training in the way you're describing yeah. is really sketchy for people who are field sport athletes because yeah. they don't run all the time. Yeah. So again, like, how do you? So I always find resistance resistance sprints resisted sprints are like more bang for your buck yeah. because you're taking people who don't run you're kind of decelerating them but the intensity still the neurological intensity is very very high yeah as a good way to kind of get them into some of this stuff you're describing yeah would you approach it the same way or is it like we're going 22 miles an hour on the 1080 day one from the no 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 not day one but you know what i'm saying like exactly how do you get that how do you find that progression with that yeah, well, I mean, th- there's a lot of measurements that that happen. Like we 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 would still do all, all of our flying tens, flying twenties, right? So if we know that before, you're flying, what would you do them before? Yeah, like as a as a post as a post test or a pre test, mm-hmm. right? Like we know, all right, we're we'll run a forty, but we're only going to measure your last ten uh-huh. to, to see where you're at, right? right? So if you're if you're at a one point zero two, then we know you're at twenty miles per hour, mm-hmm. right? So we know what you're capable of, and then and then we build up to things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like okay. We're going to do these flying 10s, flying 20s. Now we're going to transition over to uh, the the treadmill where where you can do this without. And, and again, like the, the magic of the treadmill for me is going from zero straight to 22 miles per hour. Right. Right. So that 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 neural drive. And just so people understand, like these are very fancy uh, high they're end huge. treadmills like the ones. Yeah. They're the ones where you see yeah. like the videos of so and so ran 22 miles an hour. Right. And the coach has their hand behind their back or there's a strap like it's a it's a whole ordeal. Right, it's a whole, it's a whole ordeal, and and the reason why, that that that's the other part of it is I know if if we have a certain amount of space, this has to take up a lot of that space. Right. So I'm gonna put this in here first, and then make everything else fit because I'm still leaving room for all of the other stuff. Right. Right. But like this is this to me is is the moment where people get hurt, right? Like yeah. to, to to me like the the we're dealing with hamstring issues right. over and over again. Like so, how do we how do we bulletproof the hamstrings we've got to make sure that the hamstrings are mobile we've got to make sure that the hamstrings are strong and we've got to make sure that the hamstrings are powerful right so you know to to do all those things and and cover all those bases and then going back to what you were talking about when we were talking about the achilles um to to me the zone two of achilles is jump rope Mm. right so you talk about zone two training when you're getting ready for your 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 high rocks and it's like the the value of zone two training is yeah it's not super intense but you're building that base like I, I know so many kids that don't know how to jump rope. And that's, that's a great point, dude. I know I mean like it's just an easy way to accrue a ton of volume. Correct. Without without a ton of intensity. It, it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not that hard. Right. Um, relatively speaking. Um we should do an overspeed episode where you can get asked the rest of the questions yeah. that are just, I see your wheels turn. <laughs> uh, so we'll do that on the train. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing about overspeed is like yeah. when people think of assisted work, I don't think of it as overspeed. Like if you can run 20 miles per hour, You're just think of that as like, like top speed, work. top speed with less effort, mm-hmm. because people think of overspeed as if I can run 20 miles per hour now with assistance, I can run 24 miles per hour. I don't want you to do that. Right. If I know that you can run 20 miles per hour, I'm only asking you to run your 20 miles per hour, but do it at less effort. So yeah. now you're doing it at 70% effort instead of 100% effort. Oh. So now I can focus on the ground strike and where, what are my arms doing? What's my posture like? And all those other things, right? Right. So, all right. So really more, more on, yeah. on that. On but that's what I would say. So like, I think this is like, this, this fits, this fits the thing we're talking about, yeah. though, right? Like, it's exactly right. You want somewhere yeah. you can run, somewhere right. you get resisted work, somewhere yes. you get assisted work. And I think the important thing for fans to hear 
is the last thing we're talking about is the lifting, right? It's <laughs> yes, like, yes. It, it is important. Like, don't get me wrong. It's super important. Like I, like the thing I would kind of say is like, is there a way for us to get eccentric overload later in a trading block? Like, do we have weight releasers? Do we have some type of machine to get that done? But the weights are the weights. You know what I'm saying? They're there. The, the, other, the other thing too is like, I, I, there, there is no way that they've gotten to this level without going through a strength and conditioning program and hitting the weight room hard at whatever school that they were at. But they may not have gotten this training to help to help them understand like right. how to take care of their hamstrings even in the off season, right? So this is something that I think is actually low hanging fruit, but it's something that is not necessarily valued or been taught or been valued in in weight rooms because you think of we're gonna squat, right? Right. So that said, I probably want like twenty five thirty squat racks. Yeah, well, yeah, just, yeah. I don't know. you're it's gonna like, need you're gonna need squat racks. It's for crazy, sure. like. You know, because at the park they have, I want to say, it's like a double rack. So yeah, I think like they, have, six. they have six or eight. Yeah. And they make that work pretty good. And so yeah. you don't need like, I think I think when you go to college weight room and it's yeah. like. Here's, there's a hundred kids on the, yeah, on the but team. But there's, there's 90 guys in the NFL in the offseason. There's, yeah. there's more than that in the offseason in, in college because you might sure. have a hundred guys and then you have a group of 30 or 40 guys that are red shirts or, yeah. or you know what I mean? For so sure. it's like hundred. But I would still want like 25, 30. Like I would love for the, in the season, the defense to be able to lift together, the offense to be able to lift together. Like, I, I think that's ideal. Um, think and so again, too. if we're, if we're talking about like you perfect know, Josh Harris, have funny. you, have you ever been on a team where offense and defense lift together? No, like every weight room I've been in, the biggest weight room that I've been exposed to was the one in San Francisco. And I liked it a lot. And so it basically fits this model that we're describing. It's right. like a big warehouse, mm -hmm. like coaches offices in there, strength coaches offices in there. They have probably, I want to say 20 racks, maybe yeah. 15. So like everybody can be in there. They have dumbbells in a second, se separate section. They have the machines in a separate yep. section. They have yeah. this big kind of garage doors that open up directly to the field. So the yep. run rockets are right there. And in yep. California, it's never raining. You know what I'm saying? So like you can just pop out there, get your work done. And totally. so that's one thing that I loved about that. It was just so convenient. Yeah. Like we're going to finish our strength work. We're going to go right to the field. Yeah. There's not this big transition where we got to walk four miles, you know, and four miles is an exaggeration. Yes. But yes. I think that's the thing. And like, so the other thing I wanted to ask, like in addition to the racks, would you get like a like a velocity based measuring absolutely. system. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Every, every, like what is it like perch is like kind of the one everybody's talking about now, right? Where it's like digital as opposed to having hooked something up to the bar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is digital now. Yeah. yeah. Um just just something that's going to get me some sort of measurement. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm obviously going to have all of the vault stuff, the, the yeah. force plates, um the the, and the, the Nord it, boards. And so for people at home like the the force plates, you're just using that for testing, right? You're not using that as part of the yes, programming. Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Like like one of the things that I love about like the cat is I can put somebody if I know what their max force is, mm -hmm. max force, max isometric force, right? In let's say an acceleration step or whatever, and I'm gonna say, and now I can put them on an iPad and I can say, hey, this is your max force. I want you to maintain that force for five reps at three seconds per rep, mm. and they're looking at it, boom, three seconds, pushing as hard as they can. Like that's so valuable to me mm -hmm. right so so the more information that we can give you're to talking about like for isometric work right isometric I, yeah, work, overcoming yeah. isometric work yeah, yeah definitely having that feedback is huge that feedback is so huge so so to be able to do that and not not just get the adaptation that we want but to get the buy-in from the athletes yeah because so so much of what you're doing in a strength and conditioning weight room or as a coach is to create that buy-in from that athlete like do they believe what they're doing is 
helping them as an athlete. Because if not, they're going to go to their own guy. And right. and they should. I, I would never discourage that because like especially if you, the guy is Chris Gore. If you have your own guy, like the, it would be. Balsam. We we always ask. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on some of our other podcasts. Like if you're going to be somebody that asks your players to drop their ego, you got to be willing to drop your ego as uh -huh. well. So for you to think that you are the best solution for every guy that walks in is crazy because that guy might have a great relationship with his own trainer, or that trainer knows him and designs programs just for them welcome that you have to welcome that right but hey can you buy into some of the things that we're doing here or can we mimic some of the stuff that you're doing with your trainer here so that you're doing it around the team we're, we're, we're creating that culture here where you know we're, we're all ultimately working for the same goal so sure. that's what the not just your personality but your equipment has to say the same thing the way that you design the weight room um at, at in ashburn now the way that the weight room is set up is you have your weight room and then the fields are this way and the bubbles are the, the bubble is that way. But like you said, like if you go to Vegas or Chicago or Buffalo weight rooms that I've seen where the weight room is right there and then you can walk out of the weight room and step right onto the turf to do your sprints or your resisted work, assisted work, whatever it is. Or you talk like, about injury prevention, there. like if, if your gym is the center of your kind of warm up, you know, injury prevention space mm -hmm. to be able to go in there and then easily get to practice. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. The same thing in San Fran. Like we would have the rollers out there. You just mm -hmm. they're all and it's not like this crazy setup where they got to carry everything to the field. It's like everything's here's the weight room. Just grab something, go on the turf, roll out, yep. go to practice. And I think uh, that kind of setup, I, you know, the stuff in the weight room, I think, is obviously really important because it, it reflects the coach's philosophy and perspective. Yeah. But ultimately, I always come back to like you're you're trying to make a program that's 80 percent effective for like 100 dudes yeah, yeah so like exactly straight weights probably okay running treadmill good resistance sprints good yeah. it's more about the proximity and the location and making it easy for the guys yep. to get in there get what they need to get done and then move on you know what i'm saying like there yep. was a uh there was a um i was i forget where i was but I, you know those companies that put up like the uh the shipping containers of weightlifting stuff yeah yeah, yeah. and i thought even that would be tremendously advantageous if they just put something on the turf at um in at, ashburn yeah in ashburn right they yep. just got a rack there set up it's all weather little cover like that would be awesome because yeah. it give it, it meets this criteria that we're describing and it gives you that ability as a coach to be like hey we're on the field we're in the weight room and this it's very transferable as yeah. opposed to like we're here and this is a separate a separate part of our identity i think combining the field and the weight room stuff is incredibly critical yeah so there you go. Proximity is very important. Space, very important. And the weights are the weights. 45 pounds is 45 pounds. Boys. It is 45 pounds. Uh, 45 pounds. Now what you do with that 45 pounds, that well, can change well, the way Well, 45 feels, pounds to me is way different than it is to Logan. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we don't measure it against that. That's we true. measure it against gravity, Chris. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is our show here from Indianapolis, the second annual Train With The Best Take Command crossover podcast. Uh, Take Command, uh, of course, out multiple times per week with me and Logan. Train with the best bi-weekly, uh, once every other week with me and Chris. Uh, we have tons of content on both podcasts from Indy. So whichever feed you're listening in right now, uh, plenty more to come here from the NFL Combine. For Logan and Chris, I'm Craig, and we'll see you next time on Take Command and the Train with the Best Podcast.